0: Now from the Milken Institute, responding to COVID-19, conversations with Mike Milken. In the midst of the largest healthcare crisis in our generation, 1.2 million healthcare professionals in the United States have lost their jobs because of the financial strains that the COVID pandemic put on healthcare organizations. That's Tom Mihaljevic. He's the CEO of Cleveland Clinic, one of the world's top-ranked hospital systems. Despite cutting non-essential services during the pandemic, Cleveland Clinic has maintained a full workforce, which has also remained one of the world's healthiest. Dr. Mahalyovich spoke with Milken Institute and Faster Cures chairman Mike Milken on Wednesday, May 20th.
1: Tom, thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: My first visit To the Cleveland Clinic was long before you were there in the early 1970s. What a fantastic institution that you lead today with more than 70,000 employees worldwide conducting medical research, providing healthcare services to 3 million patients. I've cherished our research relationships and healthcare relationships with the Cleveland Clinic over the years, and I remember the first time I walked into the Cleveland Clinic in Abu Dhabi, your partnership with Mubadala, I had had the honor in 2006 to cut the ribbon on the Imperial College Diabetes Center They're also with a partnership with Mubadala. I brought a number of the leaders in medical research and health in our conference in Abu Dhabi to the Cleveland Clinic. Abu Dhabi, everyone just marveled and wished they could have worked in that environment. Talk to us a little about the mission of the Cleveland Clinic.
0: Well, thank you very, very much, Mike, for a very kind introduction. I am delighted to hear your passion about Cleveland Clinic because every caregiver, each one of 70,000 caregivers that we employ feels equally passionately about. Cleveland Clinic is about to celebrate its first 100 years next year. Cleveland Clinic was founded by four physicians after they returned from European Front in the First World War and came back to their hometown of Cleveland. And they started this organization that was organized around patient-centered, coordinated care by physicians who led their own organization mission of the Cleveland Clinic has not changed since its inception to provide care for those who are ill, to investigate their problems, and to educate those who serve. We have come a long way since those days in 1921, and we have grown to the organization that spreads across several continents. Cleveland Clinic has obviously the strongest presence domestically here in the United States. We have longstanding presence in Canada, in Toronto. As you mentioned, Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi opened its doors to its patients four years ago, and I was very privileged to be a part of that effort. I lived and worked in Abu Dhabi for seven years. And next year, we plan to open the Cleveland Clinic in London. So we are integrated healthcare delivery system that is physician led, that is with the patient in its center, and it has a global presence. And
1: so you came back from Abu Dhabi and then took the assignment from my good friend Toby Cosgrove to take over the leadership of the Cleveland Clinic worldwide. COVID-19, when did you realize this could become a pandemic and How did the system begin
0: preparing? We started our preparation for COVID-19 in January of this year. We were carefully monitoring what was happening in China, but also in the United Arab Emirates. Cleveland Clinic in Abu Dhabi was exposed to the COVID pandemic before it arrived here to the United States. As we shared our experiences, as we always do across our entire system, we started to realize the size of the threat and started to plan how to meet this rapidly emerging threat. So what we did is that we developed excess capacity across our hospitals and the sites where we deliver care in the United States. We started to collect personal protective equipment and make sure that we have a sufficient supply of PPE to keep our patients as well as our caregivers safe. And then we also started to work immediately on a development of our own hospital ability to test, as we realized that the testing capacity is going to be essential feature of a successful combat of a COVID pandemic. So the moment the FDA relaxed its criteria and allowed hospitals to develop in-house systems, we were not waiting for it. We were already prepared. And immediately, the next day, we were one of the first academic medical centers in the United States that offered testing for COVID to our patients.
1: Many of the hospitals in New York, New Jersey, Detroit, for a shorter period of time, New Orleans saw this surge, and they were quite concerned when they saw the pictures of what was occurring in northern Italy that it could happen here. On the other hand, for the most of the rest of the country, they never saw this surge. What happened at your Cleveland Clinic facilities?
0: We were very fortunate that we started to prepare early, but we were also very fortunate that we are in the state of Ohio, our home state, where the public health care measures were implemented very early. So the combination of our preparedness and the state preparedness led to the fact that we had a large capacity to take care of our COVID patients, but fortunately, that capacity was never needed. The pandemic was controlled very early on, and at no point did we ever allocate more than 2% of our overall capacity for the treatment of COVID-19 patients. So we're very fortunate to avoid the big wave of very sick patients that is here cities that you mentioned in the United States or internationally in cities like London.
1: One of the things that really surprised me when we look at stories of healthcare workers getting infected themselves is the unbelievable success that the Cleveland Clinic has had in preventing its own employees worldwide from being infected or hospitalized. Give us a feeling for what occurred with your 70,000 workers around the world, but particularly with your 60,000 workers in the United States.
0: We really strive to become not only the best place to provide healthcare, but also to be also the best place to work in healthcare and the safest place to work in healthcare. So we started with the preparation to educate our caregivers about the best practices to protect themselves from the virus. We started to prepare the environment around them to be as safe as possible. And as a result, Of all of those measures, we have fewer than 1% of all of our caregivers turning out to be COVID positive.
1: Well, that's a tremendous record considering how they've had to interact with patients
0: we're very proud of that accomplishment. If there is an accomplishment that is very dear to all of our hearts, it's the one that relates to the safety of our own caregivers because that gives them really an opportunity also to provide high quality care to our patients.
1: So, preparing for a surge that did not occur, what was the potential financial impact to the Cleveland Clinic?
0: Based on the orders from our state governments, we had to suspend all of the non-essential care, which was the right thing to do. The financial impact, in particular, over the past two months has been staggering. We, just like very many other health organizations of our size, have therefore incurred deficits measured in hundreds of millions of dollars as we kept our caregivers whole, kept our capacities at the ready, as we purchased and acquired the equipment that is needed to provide safe care. So the financial impact has been quite significant. And as you know, when we take a look at the healthcare industry in the United States, the unfortunate, almost tragical paradox of this situation, that 1.2 million healthcare professionals in the United States have lost their jobs because of the financial strains that the COVID pandemic put on healthcare organizations. So in the midst of the largest healthcare crisis in our generation, certainly, very many healthcare professionals are losing their jobs.
1: Well, hopefully we'll be able to get those jobs back as healthcare providers begin to focus on delayed operations etc and one of the things you and I have talked about is the unintended consequences or the collateral damage that's occurring to the health of non-covid patients who were concerned to go to emergency room who delayed surgery where research centers themselves have been shut down what are your biggest concerns today as you reflect on what's occurred over the last 3 to 4 months looking at the statistics for non-COVID patients, such as cancer or heart or stroke, etc.
0: We have been seeing as an unintended consequence of these measures, a steep decline in the newly diagnosed patients with cancer, cardiovascular disease, and neurologic disease. What we do know for a fact that those diseases have not disappeared, rather the patients were either fearful or seeking care or simply could not access care because it was deemed as non-essential. Let's focus on cancer for a moment. This could result in hundreds of thousands of lives that we may lose over the course of the next year or two because of a delay in timely diagnosis of cancer. And that is cancer alone. Cardiovascular disease and neurologic disease make with cancer three top reasons for mortality and death outcomes here in the United States are equally affected. So those unintended consequences of COVID pandemic, may be, from the standpoint of the loss of human lives, be much more severe than the actual damage and the loss of lives incurred by COVID pandemic.
1: The UK put out that they thought they might have eighteen to 20,000 more patients die this year from cancer. And what we're not addressing totally is the long-term effect of the cancer research laboratories being shut down for a while. And a podcast I did with Nobel Prize winner Jim Allison and Pam Sharma from MD Anderson touched on that. Steve Rosenberg from the NCI, similar concerns that you've had, but we've seen some other side effects. When we see substantially reductions in heart attacks or strokes. It's hard to believe that this has dramatically changed, but it's possible they're just being unreported or people were scared to go, particularly if they were a senior citizen, into the emergency room or into
0: the hospital. What have you seen in this area? Just as you mentioned, that were exactly our assumptions. These old all chronic illnesses, it is not to be expected that over the course of the last two months those illnesses have disappeared and what we are seeing right now as we are resuming non covid care is substantially larger number of patients who are presenting with advanced conditions whether it's a cardiovascular conditions or cancers or neurologic diseases the severity of illness at admission is much higher than what we used to see before the pandemic. Another untold story of an impact of this pandemic, collateral impact of this pandemic is very steep rise in the number of the patients with mental health issues.
1: We've seen that with alcohol abuse, spousal abuse, both lower medication use, but also increased issuance of opioids for those that were in pain back pain, shoulder pain, knee pain, where they might have had surgery and that was delayed and now they've had increases in opioid use. Have you experienced that also, Tom?
0: Yes, we have. We have seen everything that you just mentioned from a tragic increase in incidents of domestic violence, child abuse alcohol and opiate consumption, a lot of that is translating into an increased violence against our caregivers. And that is yet another silent epidemic in US healthcare, and that is the violence against healthcare providers.
1: So Tom, a number of years ago, a close friend who I've been working with named Larry Ruvo in Las Vegas, created the Lou Ruvo Brain Health Center He was very successful in raising money over a long period of time. I had mentioned to him he needed to affiliate with a world class medical research institution. And after a long discussion, eventually a partnership was created with the Cleveland Clinic. And you are one, if not the leader, in brain health. How are you preparing the Cleveland Clinic for? increases in mental health issues, delayed interaction for people that had dementia, Alzheimer's and other things that you focused on to help them. What are you doing to deal with this potential
0: surge? Well, Lou Ruvo Center in Las Vegas that is a part of our Cleveland Clinic effort is truly dedicated for the research and treatment of degenerative brain disease. And they have done a phenomenal job of advancing the science, as well as a treatment of broad spectrum of degenerative brain conditions. Our Neurological Institute is working very, very hard to expand our treatment for patients with mental health disease as well. I cannot underscore how important of a public health care issue that is in the United States. The mental health underpins the most lethal epidemic in an American history, and that is the epidemic of opioid abuse when every year we're losing 60 to 70,000 Americans due to opioid abuse. So we are doing absolutely everything not only to advance the science, but also to extend our reach to as many patients you need as possible using different means. Digital technology and digital infrastructure is a very attractive medium to provide an appropriate, accessible, timely care for patients who are struggling with mental health conditions. It is something that our patients feel very comfortable with. This is the medium and a platform that allows us to reach them in the comfort and a privacy of their own homes. But this is also the digital technology when it comes to mental health has also helped us address the chronic shortage of qualified professionals, psychiatrists, psychiatric nurses, and nurse practitioners, in particular in the rural areas. And through our digital connectiveness, we've been able to help tens of thousands of Cleveland Clinic patients.
1: Tom, one of the things we've seen is a tremendous increase in telehealth this year. Some facilities have had more telehealth visits in one day than they had in all of 2019. How have you adapted to telehealth at your facilities around the world? And have you seen a similar increase?
0: We've embraced digital technology as a pillar of our strategy for the future of Cleveland Clinic because we believe digital technology uh, offers us just a wonderful opportunity to connect to our patients in ways that is much more meaningful and allows us also to provide much more personalized and tailored care. We have seen a phenomenal increase in the number of telehealth visits from 5,000 a month in January to over 200,000 a month in March of this year. So phenomenal increase that is, I believe, a reflection of several trends. One, the digital platforms becoming much more refined, easier to use, but it's also a reflection not only an on advancement of technology, but the willingness of our patients as well as our providers to adopt those new technologies. In a time of COVID, people oftentimes fearful to come to the hospitals because of a perception of risk associated with going to a healthcare facility. But also our caregivers oftentimes feel much more comfortable providing us now services at a distance for patients in need. I think that this is just the beginning of a revolution in a way that we are approaching healthcare delivery.
1: Tom, I wanna to thank you for joining us today. I wanna to thank you for your leadership and we look forward to future breakthroughs from the Cleveland Clinic and meeting the challenges of not only COVID-19 patients,
0: but those with other serious life-threatening diseases. Mike, thank you very much for having me. It was truly a privilege. I enjoyed the conversation. Find more episodes on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or milkeninstitute.org podcast, where you'll also find the latest COVID-19 updates. Until next time, stay safe and healthy.